Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Warren Ellis is an internationally acclaimed multi-instrumentalist, composer, and producer who originally hails from the state of Victoria in Australia. A founding member of the influential band Dirty Three, Ellis has also collaborated extensively with Nick Cave, becoming a member of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in the mid-1990s, and working with Cave outside of that band on soundtracks and their own music together. 2021 has been a busy release year for Ellis, who made a record with Marianne Faithful called She Walks in Beauty, a collaborative album with Cave called Carnage, and a wondrous new book called Nina Simone's Gum, which is an artful meditation on lives, meaning, ideas, and care for people and objects that is as moving and inspiring as it is amusing and charming. Nina Simone's Gum was published by Faber Books Worldwide in the fall of 2021, 
and it prompted Warren and I to reconnect for a talk covering things like touring the United Kingdom behind the album's Carnage and Ghost Teen with Nick Cave during the apparent twilight of the COVID-19 pandemic. The notion of serendipity and the story about our 2017 in-person interview in Toronto, where Nick suddenly turned up to participate in one of the last long-form interviews he has done to this date, the importance of teachers, magical muses, and affirmation, ideas, imagination, and his first-ever session with the Bad Seeds, the people and forces within his life that inspired this remarkable fragmentary memoir, Nina Simone's Gum, people who helped him shape this book like Oren Moverman and Dan Paps, his insights about the new and second B-Sides and Rarities volume by the Bad Seeds, thoughts about Bob Dylan's Springtime in New York bootleg series collection, his work on Ellis Park, a sanctuary for injured, abused, or special needs wildlife in South Sumatra, future plans, and, if you can believe it, much, much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you place special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 642nd episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Warren Ellis, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Warren. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, man? I'm very well. It's nice to speak with you once again. First of all, where in the world are you? I'm in London. I've just finished a Nick Cave and Warren Ellis concert at the Royal Albert Hall. We did two nights there, and it was unbelievable. Holy wow. What a guess of a joint. What a guess. (laughs) We've been out out to it. I mean, you know, it's kind of it was actually i've played there before but these two were kind of incredible because it's a really bold and raw and kind of challenging show we're playing carnage and ghostine and i'm just on a synth nick's on a piano we have three backing singers and a guy triggering a few things and playing some drums and bass so it's really raw and kind of vulnerable it's kind of amazing playing a venue of 5,000 people and you just feel like, you know, I just feel like Marty Rev sitting there on a $400 synthesizer, <laughs> you know, it's all I'm playing and it's just filling the place. You know, it's it's kind of bold and we've done really, we play a couple of old songs, but it's, we didn't def, definitely didn't take the sort of easy option with this, so... Yeah, it felt like quite an achievement actually to do this too. Also, with the current COVID situation, that a crew has been absolutely incredible. They've just, you know, they're loading in and out in masks, and everybody's, you know, we nobody leaves the COVID bubble kind of thing. And so far, we're 22 dates into it, we haven't had an incident of COVID. So it's been it's been kind of a bit of a miracle. Because, as you might know, no, no insurers will touch a tour. So if it gets cancelled, you yeah. just basically eat eat it. 
Yeah. Well, and, I mean, that's, that's remarkable. I mean, I'm happy for you. You're one of the few musicians, you know, I speak to musicians every couple of days and you're one of the few that I can, I've talked to who's been touring. So congratulations on that. And I'm glad everyone's healthy and safe. That's great. Well, we're, we're only touring in the UK, which, you know, they rolled the vaccine out in such a remarkable way. You know, they, they kind of got, got onto it and just opened up churches and we just got everybody done. Well, not everybody, but, you know, a bulk of people done. And, you know, I, I, you know, look, I don't really know how reckless it all is at the moment, but with the, with the way that it's being opened up or what the long-term effects are, but there definitely seems to me like they rolled it out in a really great way, just get on with it. And, you know, the, the, the kind of the sort of desire to get things up and running again, I mean, it um, has been, you know, really noticeable here. I mean, it was quite shocking to come here at first and, you know, people, there's not really many masks and things like that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's all a bit like you realise actually the last 18 months has, has been a very special time. <laughs> and and um, we only toured in the UK. That was, that's why it's a long. So it's been amazing because we're, we're like playing all these old places that you know, Spiders from Mars played, the Beatles played, like all these incredible kind of venues in you know Bradford outside Manchester and Aylesbury, where Bowie wrote Five Years. That pushing through the Market Square line is this right, little right. Amazing little venue in Aylesbury where he found the spiders from Mars and when he'd written Space Oddity, you know, it had this hit and then he had this idea for Hunky Dory, but he was really sort of like anxious about it all. So he went to, went to Aylesbury and tested it all out in the crowd and, you know, I read this thing. I got a book about it. That's why, you know, I know a bit about it. They gave yeah. me a book there. And the, the drummer from Queen was there and him and Freddie Mercury hopped in his mini and headed down to Aylesbury to see Bowie perform what was become Hunky Dory, you know, and they thought yeah. it was this incredibly bold kind of thing, you know, like that you could already you know, already see that there was something going on with him and they loved they loved Bowie's stuff. But it's just we we're sort of out on this, you know, we played Glasgow, we've played Birmingham, or we've played uh Edinburgh, we we, we we played Leicester and, you know, Stoke-on-Trent, you know, and, and it's been really fantastic actually to, A, get out playing in front of people, work out how to do it again. Like it's a kind of, it's very strange getting up in front of people as it is for the audience to actually be in a room together again. Yes. You know, even sitting, I mean, I've I worked the whole time during the, Pandemic. I, I had the most creative year ever, I think, because everything was cancelled. So I, you know, I did a record with Marianne Faithful of poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recorded Carnage. I've done several soundtracks. I, I wrote a book. You know, uh, I did an installation at Musée d'Orsay with a French artist. I did a bunch. I opened a park, a, a wildlife sanctuary in Sumatra. I actually found that not touring last year, I just had to start looking for things to do because I'm just not used to not doing anything. And mm-hmm. my my year was planned out to be touring and all. I had actually two years of a world tour with Ghostine and then that got thrown into chaos, you know, with, with everything like everybody else. So Yeah. It is a, it, 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 it's a weird part of this uh, time because you're not the only one I've talked to, Warren, who has said some semblance of that. Like, yeah, this is a horrible, horrible crisis and humanitarian tragedy, but for those of us who have been able to actually get some time that we don't normally have to 
And also, I think we sometimes you make things to keep despair at bay, uh, you know, to not let the stress of life <laughs> get to you. So, well, you I don't think anybody's ever really experienced anything like this. We have no reference for it, exactly. you know, and I can't yeah. imagine what it was like to be a, a little family with a young family stuck in an apartment in a, in a big city or something, you know, like I can't imagine, you know, like and talk about the silver linings of it, but, you know, I was really aware that I was in a privileged position because like, yeah, yeah. you know, I was able to, to get through it, you know, like I didn't have to worry about the roof over my head or how I was going to pay the bills and things like that, you know, and I, I, but I had definitely had people around me who were going through that. Yeah. You know, and I re- and, and realized that, you know, you, either the way you experienced the the whole thing was it was either you were privileged or you weren't. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so I'm I'm really aware of that. And, but at the same time, you know, I, I was able to turn something around, turn things around in that time because I do just like to work. Yeah. Um. And and fortunately, when stuff opened up for work, I was able to get on and do all the correct stuff. Come over pick up Blonde, the score for, for Andrew Dominic's film and get the strings underway. And then, you know, I was able to do a, a documentary on a style. I was able to come back and forwards between the UK a lot, you know, within the confinement, the, the rules of the moment, because it changed all the time here. But, you know, I was literally like popping on a train with three people and coming over here and quarantining and, yeah. you know, knocking out a score. Then man, they knocked out Carnage and, what have you, you know? No, it's it's amazing. I and I we all appreciate everything you've done, and I'm very excited to talk to you about this wondrous book. Uh, it is just oh, you've read it. Is that what this is about? It's a, <laughs> it is. Did you think we were just catching up, uh, old times? Uh, I just thought it had been a couple of years since we were sitting in that hotel lobby, <laughs> and you know, you, you kind of wanted to have a catch up. I, I didn't really know what it was about. You know, Warren, uh, this there's a lot of magic in this book. I think, and we'll get to it. I think you are someone who believes in that sort of thing and i i've told this story many times but for those who who haven't heard it before yes the year i believe was 2017 uh nick cave and the bad seeds were doing two shows at massey hall and uh i at the last minute got to go i could i thought i couldn't go to either because my wife had a business trip planned but she got a little under the weather and bailed on the trip so at the last second i asked the promoter hey can you get me a ticket to the show tonight and they did one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, uh, Massey Hall and the Cave in the Bad Seas the first night. And before I leave, I see uh, our mutual friend there, your publicist at the time, Rebecca Webster. And I say, do you think Warren would want to have an interview with me? And she's like, right now, tonight? And I said, no, no, no. He just played a show. He's not going to want to talk to me now. How about tomorrow? And she said, oh, I'll ask him. I come back the next day. I meet you in the lobby. And you're on the phone. Do you remember this? You were on the phone when we first encountered each other. Do you have any recollection of this? Oh, uh, yeah. And, and and what I've told to people is you were saying, no, it's just a guy. He doesn't have any cameras. It's just a guy with microphones. That's right. And right away, right away, I thought, oh, he's talking to Nick. That's what I thought. Have I ever t- I don't think I've told you this story. I thought, oh, he must be talking to Nick. And then you and I sit down. We get rolling. We're five minutes in. Who shows up? Nick. And it's one of the most uh, momentous occasions of my career certainly and certainly of my life so i just wanted to thank you do you have any what was going on with that phone call can we get into it what is that because that i've been told that was very unusual for nick to join us in that way is that true 
Well, I, I don't. I, I, I don't really know what happened, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if that it sounds like what happened, but you know, all I can say is, you know, there, there's sometimes a beautiful serendipity about things that you just mm. don't bother trying to explain. You know, like I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it probably doesn't happen. Like I'm doing loads of stuff, and he just, you know, like I mean, I, I've never had him jump except once on a when we did ATP and he played piano and he came in did an interview with me for something i can't remember what he just okay. was there and okay but no i mean no normally well now he just steer clears of him he doesn't do interviews at all i don't think he's really done one since that one is what i understand uh really i mean he probably not he hasn't done one certainly hasn't done one since arthur died he he he, he just decided to stop he did one and then that was it yeah so he's just sort of taking control of it he does his own thing you know well, I'll, it was, t- I mean, you and I had spoken before that, and I, I think you knew I was a fan of yours and Dirty Three and all those sorts of things. So I, I don't know what to say about it, and you're right. Maybe it's not worth explaining, but I just want you to know. Well, it's a bit actually what, what you know, no, I, I hear what you're saying, and, you know, that's, um, I'm ha- but it's kind of like what my book is about. It's about the serendipity of things, yes. you know, like yes. the, these things that just happen to you, and it's, it's a bit, you know, like I think coming out out of the, that sort of what you're saying, like very much like there's things in your life that, that can just happen. It feels like we're, we're these sort of walking ideas, you know, like we're just a whole bunch of ideas on, on legs or whatever or wheels walking, turning, walking around. And it's who we bump into that, that enables ideas within us to take, take flight. And that definitely has been my case, like, whether it's a teacher or someone I've met or, or, you know, Mick and Jim or Nick or, or, you know, my guy that makes my shoes or yeah, it's these people who kind of, you know, you know how like the way that you go to see a film and, 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 and everybody is seeing a different film. Everybody's reading a different book. They're reading you, you know, and, and, yes, it's like we're walking around and, and these people are reading us, you know, like, the good people that come across us in our life, yeah. they, they bring out the best in us. And I think that's what you're talking about, the, these moments of just serendipity that happen that can change you. You know, like you said, it was, you know, one of the great experiences of my life, you know, and, that, and that's fantastic. And yeah. for me, this book is about that, these moments that I can see now, I guess it's looking back, you know, with, with some retrospect in mind see yeah. see these yeah. pivotal points you yeah. know these little signposts where things you know you'll you'll know there's a decision that you made at one time that to just change things like when you put the velvet underground on and you just know there's no way back from yes. there you know you're like whoa you, you, when you discover something or you hear alice coltrane or john coltrane you know when i've heard john coltrane i thought it was the voice of god mm-hmm. you know coming out the speaker i had no idea what it was but it, it just instantly spoke to me yeah. you know and and these these sort of things that you know life won't be the same after after yeah and we very much we it, it's very much about our imagination I think these things it's what engage somebody else can hear John Coltrane and go geez he plays a bit flat or something you know yeah somebody else can hear it and think it's like the voice of God you know and I think that's the amazing thing it's about how much we allow our imagination. To, to kind of engage in these things. I think, uh, yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, I will also say to you, Warren, just how pivotal that whole occasion was for me because you, we concluded that interview in the afternoon and Nick 
seem to remember, and I had spoken with Nick before too, in person actually, in Toronto, in that same area, years and years earlier. But he said to me as you were both leaving, you're coming to the show tonight, right? The second show. And I said, oh, you know, I was planning to be home with my ailing wife. You know, I thought I was just going to drive home. And I said, oh, sure. And then as you left, Rebecca, the publicist said, just first she was freaking out that what had happened, what had occurred had occurred. She was freaking out. She said, I'm so glad it was you. Anyone else? I don't know if they could have handled that. And I didn't know what that meant. That was a nice compliment. But she also said, by the way, the show is oversold out. I can't get you in. And I said, okay. And so I started to drive home on the highway, you know. And then I got a text from Rebecca, Nick put you on the guest list. So then I go back to the venue and I ran into a figure here who was dying. There's a figure in Canada, his name is Gord Downey, and he was a singer-songwriter fellow and an important figure here, and I knew him vaguely. And he had announced uh, that he had terminal cancer. And I ran into him moments before the show, and we talked. It was the last time I spoke with him and saw him. I went and watched your show. I, or by the way, I picked up my tickets and I saw a backstage pass. I'm like, oh boy, okay, this is going to be quite a day. Watch this other, this brilliant show. I go backstage. You and Nick come out to greet some people. And at some point, you, Warren, looked at me and you motioned to Nick and you pointed at me. And Nick came over and asked me, uh, <laughs> we, as you may recall, we got into some politics in our conversation. And Nick, Nick mm. took a moment to say, I want you to, I need you to do me a favor can you take out any reference to Trump? I don't want I don't want that in there. I don't want him to have my time. I just don't he doesn't deserve it or something along those lines. And I said, "Yeah, okay, no problem." And then he said, "Good, cuz if you don't, I will hunt you down and kill you." <laughs> Which I thought he was right in my nose to nose and he's and I said, "Okay." And I just looked at him. I didn't stand down. I just said, "Okay." And I said, "He's watching taken too many times, clearly." Yeah, and I said, "Have you been thinking about this all day?" And he said, yeah, maybe. But then Nick stood by my side and we talked for like two hours. And all of this, Warren, honestly, is you. So when you talk about serendipity, because a lot of the figures that come through your, come you encounter in your life, as you depict in this book, they seem magical. They provide, a, they, they emanate a warmth to you and you, you, you are genuinely moved by them. And there's some, all I'm saying, Warren, is you might be a magical being. That's what I'm getting at, I think. And do you, does that? Uh, 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 <laughs> it's, a lo- it's a lovely idea. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, some people are sort of conduits for things, aren't they? You know, like they can just. Yeah. And but again, it's really, you know, when you think about it, it's logical. I mean, like there's something like. I guess you're talking to me, Nick is there, he turns up. Uh, like, there's more chance maybe of that happening than bumping into him in the street and thing and saying, hey, you know, I, sure. look, I, I don't really know. I mean, yeah. there's something about circumstances, but I know looking at writing this book, I, I, you know, first of all wanted to write, it was really like an art book. I wanted to write, it was mainly like a, like it had all these beautiful photos of the the copies being made and I thought that was so moving and I had this sort of like different people step in and out of it, you know, like 
that it was just like an idea or something. Everyone was getting under it. Everybody was carrying it. And, and the amazing thing around that gum was absolutely nothing, that you couldn't see it. And for me, what it is around there, it's Nina Simone, but it's us. You know, it's what I said before. It's about our imagination engaged. So it's the thought, you know, it's like a holy relic. What's around it is the thing. It, do- it doesn't matter that it's a piece of gum or that it's a fingernail or an umbilical cord or a kind of hair. W- what it is is what's around it that we can't touch. And and it just seemed to me like the first time I'd seen concretely like this thing that I feel in the studio when ideas take flight. You know, these days I sit and wait for the ideas to come. I sit in the studio with Nick and we just sit and play and play and play. Don't really, like, he, he might have some words or not and, and I have a few little ideas. But when you don't have anything, it's when it starts getting interesting because it's like the ideas hunt you down, you know. Well, I mean, you, t- to- you talk about figures in your life, uh, and I forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name. Your late friend's name was Mick Geyer, is that right? Yeah, McGuire. So think about that. And by the way, before before I get too lost in this, I do think uh, I, I've already told you this book is brilliant and and funny and moving. I do think for people who don't have an entry point, I'm going to ask you in a moment to summarize the book a little bit so, yeah. so we can catch people up. But I just want to say, Mick Geyer is this figure in your life who appears out of nowhere after a show you both attend. Prince, I believe. And and then yeah. he not only introduces you to the music of Nina Simone, he introduces you to Nick Cave. Like, that's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about, Warren. Like, when I think of you, and, you know, I don't know what that day was all about, those days we spent together, but to me, you're sort of my Mick Geyer. You're one of my Mick Geyers <laughs> in my life. You know what I mean? You came but into I my life. I think we all have them. I mean, it's yeah. why, why I wrote about Mick, because, and really with the book, when I looked at, what I what I had and and my friend Oren convinced me I needed to write about myself and I didn't want it to be a memoir of any sort at all because I just yeah. don't think my life is particularly interesting and if it is to anybody I don't want to be the one writing it down you know because it's just a tone to those things that I don't like I really love Chronicles I think that's an amazing kind of amazingly generous I mean I, I, the Bob Dylan book yeah I love yeah. that. I think it's yeah. so generous and it's like what he's actually giving you is so yes. generous, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I really like the Salvador Dali one, the Secret Life of Salvador Dali, and I like the Art Pepper one. I mean, there's some that I like, but a lot of them I just find the, the artist has done their job for me if they've moved me. I, I don't want to know the ins and outs of things, you know. Like, sure. I mean, the artist's work is the thing that has moved me. They've already given me more than I should ask for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this thing of meeting people and being disappointed or whatever, I mean, that's your problem, you yeah. know, because, like, yeah. why should they be any more than their work, you know? Like, the work has already done something. Like, who, who cares if you meet somebody and you're, you're not impressed by them or, or their whatever, you know? Like, who yeah. cares? You know, like, I'm not interested in that at all. You know, I, I'm not interested in even meeting people, you know, that that have really moved me or changed my life, you know? I mean, I, ha- I had... I had the most amazing experience to meet Lou Reed, you know, when in, in, in the studio just after he'd A, recorded Lulu, you know, which is just the most extraordinary record. And he came in to listen to a version of White Light, White Heat that we'd done with Ralph Stanley. Mm-hmm. And I, I could not have asked for a more incredible experience, you know, but 
you know, if it had been, if he had been really rude and cantankerous, I wouldn't have cared less, you know. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I really think it's more about what we bring to that stuff. And like I said, you know, the, the person who's made something, the artist who's made something or written something or created something, they've already done more than you can ask for, you know. So, you know, and again, it's like we get these stories in our head, build on our imagination and what we think things must be like. And, you know, you're going to be let down, you know. So I, yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of people have figures like like Mick Guy was so informative for me, you know, like he just cut, he could like, he was a radar for, for great things and his taste was really impeccable and, and I was hungry for knowledge, you know. And, mm-hmm. I, and those people who can sort of like say, hey, check out this song, check out I Want to Comfort You, you know. Dave McComb was like that. Yeah. These people who can just save you the legwork sometimes because that's what they've been doing, you know. Yeah. Check out this film, you know, have a look at this, you know, and you know that they've done the kind of work. And Now, you mightn't agree with them, but for me, these these people were really important, well, you know. I, I think, yeah, yeah. No, I think you've, you've actually um, vaguely pinpointed why I try to do what I do, which is talk to people I'm interested in or think are interesting and the – the hope is that other people hear it and to say, "Oh, I've never heard of, I've never heard of Warren Ellis. What is this guy all about?" You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like. Well, you don't you don't exist without without other people. Your ideas don't exist. I mean, yeah. you just your idea. It doesn't matter what you make if people don't consume it. It, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and and that's the thing that's fantastic about creating stuff because. It exists in the imagination of the community, mm-hmm. and that's what's that's what's really. I mean, you know, the, the audience is as big a part of the concert as as the band in some respects, you know, and 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 the the, the listener or the reader or the observer, their interaction is is a really big part of it because that validates or confirms your suspicions, or it kind of gives it a whole new life, you know, and mm-hmm. and. And really, you know, like they really are—they really are important. They're an important part of like the whole thing, you know, the global thing. So, and you know, like it's—it's. I mean, you're talking about like yourself, I guess, in the way, you know, how why why I dedicated the book to teachers, these people, yes. whoever they are, that kind of inform us, or these these people who give us affirmation and say to us, "Hey, that's good, kid," you know, like. Yeah. Wow, look at look at this thing that you've done, you know, and you always remember those people, you know, that say like, "Hey, that's not bad," you know, or "Wow, this bit's really good," you know. It, it, I think uh, th- that was something I hadn't intended with with the book, but it's about affirmation and how important it is. Yeah. And uh, looking back, I'd never thought about this stuff, but looking at at the, you know, when I eventually conceded to sort of writing a fragmentary, I guess it's not really a, it's sort of a memoir because it is sort of fragmentary reflections of mine, but they're all linked to this thing that Oren Moverman helped me see because I resisted doing the interviews with him just saying like, you know, I don't want to talk about myself. This is about the gum. This is about this, you know, like this is this thing at this great art book, you know, like it's this is going to be the greatest art book ever written, you know, and that, that was what Nick said to me when I told him, I, I said, oh, I've got this idea for a book. And he goes, wow, that could be the, like, the, sounds like the greatest art book ever. <laughs> you know, it's what it's all about, you yeah. know. And he's like, I'll do the introduction, you know. Do you want it? And I'm like, I'd love that, you yeah. know. I thought, okay, that's like, 
a whole bunch of words done already with him. I'll have to write about 10 pages and I'm out of there. Put some pictures in there. And Oren, in discussion with him, because I I, I got absolutely like telling Faber about the idea, you know, that people have published it. They just came to the table straight away, you know. They, they, they were around a table. I told them about it. And 45 minutes later, they looked at each other. One of the, the, the woman was in tears when she sort yeah. of opened the box and she saw the, the, the sort of mould of the gum, not even the real one. She was just in tears and, and they just said, we don't need to talk about this. We want you to write this book. That was like, you know, three people, main people in that department of favour, Dan and Jack and, and, and uh, Alexa. Yeah. And, again, that was symbolic of the whole story about this, you know, that anybody who kind of came on board, they got underneath this tiny little idea. The book is, a, the book, the book is an idea in itself, you know, like the whole book is, is an idea and it's, a, it, and it's about everybody getting underneath it and carrying it, you know. And I've noticed this my whole creative life, these tiny little fragments and filaments that appear in the studio, they don't have a chance unless somebody gets underneath them or some people get underneath it and they give it a chance to fly. And, and they can be crushed so quickly, you know, with the wrong words. And it's this yeah. really incredible moment. And, you know, I could see, I could see with the people, like last night, last night after the show, Christina was there from the Royal Danish Library. And I'm like, how's that bit of gum going like this? And she's going, oh, my God. We've built a special (laughs) conservationary box now for it. It's got its own little sort of thermometer and temperature control and da-da-da-da-da like this. We've built it within the glass container. Like it came in a little glass jar for jam, you know. It's now included in the whole thing, you know. Like she goes, it's within, it's kept within its glass jar within a kind of, you know, I love this. This is what it's all about for me. This is like what an idea is, people getting under nothing, you know, like just something that's moved their gut or something that's kind of, they don't know what it is, but it's moved them and and, and they, they want it. You know, for me, it's like vibration. I, I, I'll hear two things. I don't know why, but it moves me and I want to kind of work out what I can do to, 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 to help it live, you know. Yeah. And when I met Nick the first time in the studio, the first day I was in there, there was a song that they were doing that wasn't working and and I just sort of suggested something and Nick started messing around. He goes, like this, and I'm like, yeah, maybe, like that, you know, da-da-da-da-da, like that. And then he just looked at me and he goes, do you want to come in tomorrow? Do you want to come in for the rest of the week? Uh-huh. Just like that, you know. Yeah. And for me walking in the studio at that time with the Bad Seeds, it was like I, I couldn't think of a greater band on the planet, you know. Like it was like I was absolutely absolute awe of the of them walking in there i was like jesus you know like you know i mean i was a little speed freak and a junkie and a out of tune violin player you know that could sort of smash it up a bit you know but like i was kind of stepping into a different thing and 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 you know in retrospect to walk in and see the way those people worked was just such a gift for me you know like i saw the way Nick was so driven and committed to the idea, you know, straight away. Like I know I'd never encountered that before yeah. at such a level. You know, to, for me, even to have that week in there would have those few days would it get, gave me so much grist to the mill, you know. But then to consider, think that twenty five years later, you know, that we just played Royal Albert Hall together, you know, performing 
his last two records. You know, it's it's kind of a t- testament to a sort of collaboration that's stood some test of time. Well, and and, um, and yeah, still- I, I, all I was going to say, Warren, is like I think what you're getting at is that there are these moments in our lives, in our the trajectories of our lives. You maybe don't realize the gravity of them until you reflect upon them as you have in this book. Like what I appreciate about this book is it's about a piece of Nina Simone's gum. However, what we get from it, and I understand your reticence about wanting to or or giving into the temptation of writing some sort of self-serving memoir. But what but what I recognize in the book is this little piece of gum, the path for you to be able to be in a position in your life where you can crawl on the stage after Nina Simone's performed and and abscond a piece of gum and a towel <laughs> and, and and what that yeah. means like what are all the little moments what are all the little comments from teachers and educators and your family how did you get to this piece of gum and i like that the book focuses on this piece of gum and kind of a bef- the gum is for you a turning point of some sort. I mean, at least in this project, like you, you're, yeah, it was, but you know, you know, the thing was, but just to go back to Oren, had said to me, you don't think this is about you, but it is. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. it's not, it's about the gum. And he goes, no, it's not Warren. He goes, out of 2,000 people, you were the one who crawled up on stage. You're the one that's looked after it for 20 years. Yeah. Why did you do it? And I go, I've never even asked why. Yeah. I, like I did it, you know, like you don't ask yourself why when you just, you know, something is the right thing to do. So, you know, I'm eternally grateful to, to Oren for pushing me through that, you know, and then Dan was amazing at, at, at Faber and Alexa because they let me find my voice, but they also pushed me into, they, they never kind of, you know, like they'd say, oh, can, you know, can you get, give us more here and stuff like that. And at times when I didn't want to, it was fine, you know, but they helped me see, and, and everybody I mentioned in the book helped me see what the idea was here and what, what it was. And when I looked at where I'd kept it, it was clear, you know, I had it next to Beethoven and yeah. why I had a Beethoven bust. I knew why. And then I, I realised that the kind of atmospheric shifts that I felt in her concert, during her concert, during that whole thing, with similar things to what I feel when I'm playing and, 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 you know, without a plot spoiler, the last sort of thing I talk about, that was a thing that kind of like it was exactly the same thing. And then mm. I realised this kind of like appearance of light and stuff like that when I have these weird out of, you know, like I don't know, like cosmic experiences or supernatural experiences. You know, I trace it back to the incident that I opened as a child with my brother watching this thing happen in the back garden. And the kind of narrative of the book, uh, I I realised too that there was no chronological order with it. It it was about these, I don't know, like I realised when Nick had written the introduction, like he sent it to me the next day, you know, he just sort of did it. And I'm like, right, okay, well, that's that done. But like, what am I going to do? Where do I go? And then... I sort of started thinking about these things and jotting them down and then da-da-da-da-da. But then I remembered, as I got the the basic idea of it out, like then I did this, then I did that, then I did this, it made room for other thoughts to come in. And I started thinking about light and I thought about, you know, this this experience I had as a kid and realised that 
I could like sort of like jump all over the place. And I wasn't actually talking about time. I was talking about a thing. And, and that thing, I realized what it was towards the end when I reconnect with my, my brother and I realized that the little guy that witnessed this thing with him is the guy that you see on stage when I'm playing. Right. There's an aspect of me that has never changed and, and it's, it's the person. It's the person in you that you don't see in the mirror. It's, it's the person that you think that you are until you look in the mirror 20 years later and go, shit, you know, I guess it's that sort of those desires and, and those sort of things of awe and wonder, you know, and wonder in the world and, you know, that, that if people encourage in you, they stay alive. Yeah. Um, and then the book for me became about, and I didn't know it was about that. I, I didn't know it was about my attempt to sort of create some spiritual force for myself, you know, that, that I'd been looking for, for some sort of spirituality all my life, you know, and, and yet I'd sort of like had this connection through with vibration and sound that moved me in ways that I didn't know. And I realized writing the book that music was my attempt to sort of create some spiritual connection to something, you know. You know, I remember talking to somebody and they said, you know, it really like Alice Coltrane should have a church. And I said, but she does have one. Who's ever heart that she's in, that yeah. is her church. Yeah. You know, we're all connected by this. It doesn't have to be a physical building. And I, I realized the book, looking at it when I, I followed the narratives of stuff and I just thought, I don't know, everybody was affected by music in the same way. Well, um, at, one, at one point in the book, you say that sound even conjures light for you, which I found fascinating. And I'm very happy that you homed in on the light because it was, to be honest with you, Lauren, I, I was rereading the book when the light, the apparitions, the glowing, that really stood out for me the second time. And I was like, what is all this business about light? Even if I may, like the end of Nick Cave's introduction here, the chief conservator of the Royal Danish Library adjusts a small yellow light that shines directly onto the piece of gum. And we all stand back a little and with held breath, watch it glow, glowing Light, do you? I know what you're saying about a connection to spirituality, but that's really profound. This light that you are all uh, yeah, I, I you know I didn't really like I had I had about 400 photos and and I whittled them down to what's in the book because for me it was always a photo book, you know. And then I never thought the text was going to be even on a comparable level in terms of what the photos were giving, mm. you know. So the fact that it's being you know, people are reading it and kind of engaging in the text in such a kind of great way and encouraging way. I never anticipated that, you know. I, I thought people would be talking about how amazing the photos were and stuff like this yeah. and, wow, look at this, the, you know, following this little journey and stuff like this, you know. But I, I didn't realise until Stuart Bailey had put the layout together and stuff, which was really integral and, and a really decisive moment to whether or not the book worked, you know, like I, I, I kind of I'd written the text and then I sort of had the pictures as a storyboard, edited them down and then got them in there. And then he was sort of really deft. He, he's the head of the ICA, the artistic director of the ICA in London. Yeah. And he'd done a book on the fall, which was really fantastic. And mm -hmm. he saw this project, they offered it to him and, and, and he said he would love to do it. And he had this great approach, you know, like the gum should never be bigger than it actually is, like the image should be reduced to reflect the size of it and things like that. You know, oh. the towel is always this size. Yeah. 
But then when I was looking through, I realized that the kind of, once the frame is constructed to house the gum, that the light bursting out of it is exactly the same as the light that I saw in the window oh, and the wow. light that I saw. You know, there was, there's all these little moments of serendipity that I didn't even intend, you know, like to, to happen. Like the stuff with, with our letter and the statue, that just all came in as I was writing it, you know, and, and I just kept following the trail of the gum in a way, anything. You know, so much to the actual day I handed in the draft, you know, like all the stuff with her daughter contacting me, that was all coming in. And at that point, I'd flipped into a sort of journal, keeping a date of what was going on, mm. keeping track of what was happening as it unfolded and COVID happens and all this stuff. And then, I, and then I kind of signed off on it. Dan goes like, you know, whatever, you know, it was 12th of December, that's the final day. And I, I have to tell you about this other thing that happened on the last day sure. of the draft before I get to this this thing. But... I hand it in and then I am cleaning up and in the back of a cupboard I find an old suitcase from the 90s from a Dirty Three touring of America and just tiny little suitcase. I, I guess I just didn't travel with very much, like maybe a T-shirt and a, it was so small, <laughs> a little fake crocodile skin thing and a Samsonite suitcase. And, in, and I opened it up and inside was like, the only thing that I have from that period of time, which was my address book from before I left Australia, my uh, a, a thing of contacts in America that I was with 33 people was giving me things, you know, all just slotted in. Then I found like postcards from Dave McComb, hmm. like from that period of time, you know, that I include in the, in the book. Mm-hmm. I found letters from Mick Guy, just the most beautiful, eloquent letters that I used to get from him. I found a pile of them. I found the original ticket for the Nina Simone concert. This is the day I handed oh, in man. and signed off on wow. it. And I found the script that Oren gave me the, the night I met him in this suitcase. And I just thought, okay, they're just saying, kid, let it rip, you know. Like I, I couldn't, you know, like I mean like, you know, the luck of it or whatever of it, you know, that it happened two or three hours after I'd hit send and said, okay, let's do it, Dan. Yeah. This is it, you know. Uh, the serendipity of that just it sort of blew me away. I was like, no, and I found all the, the sort of passes for the meltdown concert and things like that. I guess again, it was things that I cared about, but I, I you know, and I'd put them in one spot, but I didn't even know that spot existed, you know. And as, again, it's that thing I mentioned in the book. You know, I wondered. I thought you often think about that. How many people have secrets tucked away somewhere, you know, that nobody ever sees, and 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 that was something I was aware of. Like, you know, when I'm gone, the the gum will just end up in the bin, and and it, and I felt like it should be in the world, you know. And to follow this little lead from this little idea and get it out there, you know, like that that. You know, it, it's become a book that's engaged people's imagination. The gum is in a safe in a conservatorium in, in the Royal Danish Library in Denmark. It will go on tour, although she is terrified to take it. She said, it's going to kill me, this piece of gum. I was talking to her last night, and Christine is going, it's going to kill me. I can't take it. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what to do with it. I have Southbank who called me, and they want to acquire it. They want to, they, they heard me on the radio. They contacted Faber and said, look, we want to talk to Warren about it. They want to put it in their archives. Mm. Um, Faber have a copy of the gum that I gave them for their sort of care in the project. And 
it's in the vaults now with Sylvia Plath's manuscripts <laughs> and Ted Hughes' manuscripts. <laughs> I mean, that is beautiful in itself, the thought that that's there, you know. Like, it, it makes, you know, it makes you think, what is an idea? What is art? What, what is it, you know? Like, there's something a- incredibly kind of empowering about it and something beautiful about the banality of it and the fact that if you buy into the sort of what is awesome about it, it's absolutely nothing. It, it is this beautiful power of people's imagination to care, to carry things with love and care that they can't even touch, you know. And it's the sort of that idea of storytelling and talking about somebody that keeps the spirit of them alive, you know, until we are no longer alive. But while we are there and we can talk about someone who's gone and we keep them alive and these little objects, I, I think I think the book is just my story about something, but I think people who read it, they can f- see their own story in it. You have these little things that mean nothing to nobody, yeah. but they, are, they, they're like a signpost for something. It might be a pair of slippers. It might be a bag of rotten sweets like I had, you know. It might be like a pair of shoes, I don't know, it could be anything, you know, but like these things that that, that engage our memory again and make us, it, it's like the way when you stick on a ACDC track for me, it makes me feel a certain way that I felt like when I first yes. heard it, yeah. you know, that's gone through with me. And there is, our memory defines us and, and it feels like these things are important to us, you know. I guess it doesn't go along with the Buddhist mentality of having no possessions and all that stuff, but like, hey, I'm all for hoarding, you know. Well, uh, you you uh, are okay. you, you reveal yourself to be a real collector of all sorts of objects, and so that's really insightful in terms of why would this gentleman go grab a piece of gum? Because you reveal yourself to collect all sorts of objects that most. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of. I didn't realize, you know, like I found, you know, I found I was collecting lead weights and you know all these things like that that I just but I dissociated with superstition and things like that, you know, stuff. Um, I, I guess I'm probably OCD. I don't know. Like, no, no. I, I remember seeing. I, I was all I was going to say is what you were saying. I think we all do this. We ascri- we ascribe tremendous meaning to things that that are very subjective. Like if if I were to, if one of the children in my house that are mine were to knock over one of my wife's coffee mugs, she would be beside herself because that particular coffee mug. We have a thousand coffee mugs in this house, but if if that particular coffee mug were to go, she would be upset. And that's a weird. You can't explain that to most people. Why is Warren's uh, Samsonite briefcase full of all these bizarre a picture of Andy Gibb? Like, why did he think to keep it? Well, it's probably because the person who gave it to him uh, means something to him. And yeah, it meant something. You know, these things that mean things. And I, I guess we kind of like, you know, somehow we're surrounded by memories and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the other, another thing I wanted to say is writing for me was, was not an easy, it didn't come naturally. Like I, you know, I could tell a story with the dirty three show and sort of like, just go for it and things like that. And either, either sink or swim, you know, mm-hmm. like it was just, I love that moment of, jumping out in a limb with the dirty three and starting up a story. You know, I used to do that a lot. And I, I really liked the risk that was involved and the humour. But this was a different thing because it was written down. And every time I reread it, I just thought, like, who's going to care? <laughs> or, like, what are people going to think of this? It's, you know, it's like the kind of painter who you hand a guitar and they and say, like, make a record, you know. Like it was someone gave me a pen and said, you're writing a book. 
and and music I, I have some relationship to and I've managed to do something in the last 30 years with it. It's still a mystery to me. I don't want it to never not be a mystery. I think when it's not a mystery, I will not engage with it anymore. So I always want it to be out of reach and I've always had this thing driving me, which is one day I might make something good, you know. So I always get what I'm working on has to be as good as I can do. But then once it's out, then the next thing comes along and it's like, okay, it's not like this last thing. What are we looking for? Where is it? You know, like, I mean, maybe this next one will be good, be better, you know, mm-hmm. like this will be the thing. So I, that's what's driven me for, for 30 years and the and, and the act of collaboration, which I really like. You know, I, I like the energy of that. I was just going to say this book, this book exists, I think, in a, in a sort of magical realism realm. And we've talked a lot about the. You've talked about people uh, being brought to tears by the the gum, by the the idea of the gum, the fact that you kept the gum. They hear they hear yeah. your story, and then this little piece of gum and a towel in a Tower Records bag becomes this very. It's like an emotional lightning rod. But I also just wanted to say, if I may, the book is really fucking funny. Like the exchanges with you and the, there's for those who haven't read it yet. The way it's been laid out with these text message exchanges between you and Nick. Anytime Nick shows up, I'm laughing. And even when he's moved by you and concerned about your <laughs> your fitness as a human, I can't help it. It's very charming and funny and multifaceted on well, on emotional I, I level. It, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's it's very much me trying to work out my way into the writing process. So. Nothing was done for kind of like effect or anything like that. You know, I, I, you know, like I love the look of the screenshots and I love the, of the, of the chats and things like that. I love the one with Anne when she says, it's a holy relic. This is like a hair of Christ. When I saw that, I literally was just standing in the rain, just soaked. I couldn't believe what she'd written, you know, and I wanted people to see that, you know, I wanted people I don't know, to feel what I felt, you know, that was like an idea happening there in front of me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had a feeling like that when I would hear, like when I heard like Distant Sky when we sort of found that thing and Nick started singing on it or when we did Magneto, I had that feeling like when when I saw that text come in, you know, like this conversation, I could see here was like an idea on the the text happening, you know, like... Mm -hmm like that thing that that texting can do and and I also like kind of wanted people to see that because I know that when you look at a text you're looking at something really personal and intimate that changes the way you look so just typing it out is not the same effect you know and I remember Alexa said to me she was a bit against them at first she's like yeah, it's sort of messy and that and I go no no there's a whole different thing she goes well I sort of feel like I'm I'm sort of like spying on something or like I shouldn't be and and I said well that's exactly the point of it you know you go into it in a really kind of different way and I I had at first the first draft I did was just me I I chopped and pasted together like six pages of of holy relics you know like and then I'd stick Nina Simone's gum on the end of it and Dan sort of flicked through it read through it and came back with some positive encouragement he was he was awesome for that because the wrong word from him could have put me off like I had no idea if it was any good or not, I just couldn't tell, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't know even what, what was expected or what I should be doing. And, 
I got to this sort of list of relics, you know, it was like everything, you know, I could find on the internet. And I'm like, so what do you think of the list? You know, and he goes like, well, we can probably do without that, can't we? And I was like, right. <laughs> I could see like, you know, a thousand words disappear off my quota and I was like, fuck. But it gave me the idea to make my own lists, which is why I made those lists in the book of things in the case or like in my box yeah. or these places, you know, like – so, you know, even unwittingly, the scaffolding that I was using to, to write the book, you know, came to help me too. It was like, well, actually, what was I trying to do with that? Like, I love the idea of a list of stuff. I make my own, yeah. you know. And I had, I got to a, the most important moment for me writing it. I really, could, I, I had no idea at all. I just couldn't tell, you know, like what. I was half the time I'd be like, you know, is anybody actually going to read this, you know? And I had so much anxiety about it. And then I constructed it with, I had about 30 or 40 quotes that I'd taken from people from all over the place, like Pasolini and Marcus Aurelius and Beethoven and my shoemaker and a taxi driver that I'd met had said something. And, and, and people I knew, people people unknown, you know, like someone would say something and, and it'd stick in my mind and i put it in. And I used them as little placeholders for each chapter pretty much, you know. And I had had them there because I thought if people don't get my words, they'll get these, you know. And so I had them there just because I was, wasn't really confident and I thought it would gave weight to it. And then literally the, the day that I was sitting with Dan going over it and he's like, okay, we're ready, we're ready to let it go. You've got to get permission for all these all these quotes, and I'm like, you're joking. And he's like, no, 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 you do. Yeah. And like this letter from Beethoven, who translated it? Is it a correct translation? Like you've got to do that. And I'm like, I don't even. I got it off the internet. Like I've no idea. You know, like uh, I don't even know where I'd find yeah. it again. And he's like, well, we've got to think about. You got to do this. And I'd had problems securing a photo I'd taken of of an interview with Nina Simone, ended up letting it go. I just wanted to have a picture of Mick and Nina Simone having a cigarette together. It was just a pure, on one page, like they're having a smoke mm. together. And I had this picture I'd taken from a BBC interview and the BBC just played hardball, asked for a stupid amount of money for an iPhone photo off the thing. And then after I'd agreed to this ridiculous amount of money, then they said, oh, you've got to get permission from her estate. And I'm like, why? And they go, well, we won't give it over mm. without it. And her estate is in such a mess, you know, like I went back and forth. It just kept going around, around circles. In the end, I just got a different photo and it's better for yeah. it, you know, like it, that was done. But I, I got to this last stage with the book where about the quotes and Dan just said to me like, you know, and again, it's what the book is about. It, it, it's about getting ideas out there that you hear in your head and just saying them. And they're they're either going to work or not, but it's giving them a chance, you know. Mm. And, w- and when you when you find the courage to say those things, it's when you start to kind of get more ideas. I think like it's about getting stuff out there, whatever, getting feedback. Dan just goes to me, I got an idea, and I'm like, what? And he goes, pick one that you like, and we delete everything. <laughs> and I knew straight away which one I wanted, which was Junior Dad, because for me, it's what the book by Lou Reed, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Would you come to me if if I was half drowning, and I'm above the last wave, and and it just seemed like the book was this petition, like this plea for help. Yeah. You know, it was like begging, wanting something to come into my life. You know, yeah. asking these people to come to me, 
whether it was Beethoven's ghost or the, the vibrations of Alice Coltrane or the, you know, whatever, you know, this sort of supernatural, like this petition because I, I didn't know how to navigate the world or something, you know. Yeah. And as soon as he did that, he hit a race and gave me the, the, the thing and I looked at it and that was the first time I saw the book. Like I, I, he goes, your words are strong enough. You don't need this here. You've got to take the training wheels off. And actually that part of the process for me was so symbolic because it was like the photo of the first sort of moulds, mm-hmm. those little wax moulds mm-hmm. of the gum, seeing the imprint of it and then seeing, seeing the kind of silver thing appear. It was taking the, taking the kind of the cast of it or the, getting the scaffolding, taking it off and seeing what was left. Mm. That was a kind of really, really powerful moment uh, for me. Well, Warren, I I just want to reiterate what Dan has said to you, uh, and I hope what you're recognizing as you speak to people and receive some reception to this book is a remarkable achievement, Warren. I I mean, you are such a talented (laughs) guy. It's so beautifully written. Uh, I've read it two and a half times, and I plan to read it for a third. It's, It's really beautiful, and I want people... To, to check it out. So I, I, th- I thank you for this because it has stirred up a lot of, as a collector myself, as someone who, who, <laughs> who ascribes meaning to things, I sometimes, when I pause and I, if I look at myself, I'm like, what am I, why, why do you care about this? But this sort, yeah. this sort of helped but me. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just about care. You know, yeah. it's about care. Yeah. That's all it's about, I think. And I've been, it's been interesting doing in stores and that, that people ask me and they tell me about things that they have, you know, <laughs> that they collect. And I thought I was the only person who collected lead weights and yeah. someone, you know, like I, I can't not pick up a washer if I see it on the ground, yeah. you know. And I heard a beautiful story. Someone was, that Dan told me that Will Oldham had told him how he had a hedge clipping off Leonard Cohen's garden because he'd sort of, gone into this flat and, and, and Leonard Cohen was trimming the hedge. So he quickly kind of grabbed the hedge clipping <laughs> off, <laughs> off Leonard Cohen's hedge and put it in a bottle yeah. and, and then kept it there, but his wife threw it out unknowingly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love that story because it actually is what would have happened to this, you know. Yeah. And again, just to go back to it, it's about getting ideas out in the world you know, yeah. that we get them out there um, and getting them out of your head. One of the, the big things for me, which is very small in the book, one of the big moments for me is when I met Guillermo del Toro and he and, and I kind of look in there and I see these teeth rattling around and I have an idea, that, you know, and I used to have these all the time and I'd be too, oh, I'm not going to say that, you know, and, and, and I just said it, let's make the score using false teeth and prosthetic limbs. Yeah. Now, it never happened, but it was actually the fact that people's imagination in that room got under it and they're like, what a great idea, <laughs> you know. And, and that's what this is about. This book is about that, that ideas need other people to latch onto them and fight for them, yeah. you know, whether they come to fruition or not. And it's like that with people. We're ideas walking around and we need people to latch onto us and fight for it, you know. Um, well, given Guillermo's affection for your Samsonite briefcase, maybe that could have been used too if that project had come to fruition. He really... But, but yeah. isn't, isn't that incredible, yeah. you know, like yeah. that, that he could sort of like be so 
can I carry it? You know, well, he, like, he's, he, he sees your briefcase and he holds it and he's transported back to a time when he had such a briefcase. Yeah. yeah. They're these strange little time machines, these things. Yeah. And I think that's what we're talking about before. The, the objects, they, they're little time machines and they, they make us carry travel back. You know, the, thinking about this made me recall this thing that was such a powerful thing that happened with me and my brother when we were kids. Yeah. It made me reach out to him. You know, uh, you know that I've been estranged from him for a long, long time, in many ways, and and to actually the think that like maybe I took that gum just to kind of reconnect, you know, is really a beautiful yeah. thing and moves me incredibly, yeah. and and the the fact that like at some stage you have to sort of reconnect with something to make it kind of eternal, you yeah. know, that you kind of like the idea links up. It finds it at a certain point in time, and you close the story in a way. Um, no, it's that's beautifully put, and I think that comes across in this in this book absolutely. Um, earlier, you had suggested that you and Nick have been performing songs from Carnage and Ghostine, and uh, given my affection for both of you and my concern for both of you, I must ask: uh, how, How's Nick doing? How's Nick doing with this material? How's Nick doing generally? No, he's great. I mean, he's, he's, he's. I mean, you know, from from what I can get, he seems fantastic. You know, he's. He, uh, I mean, the show is is kind of the show is really wonderful because people don't really know what they're going to get, and they just get swept up in it. Yeah. It's a very unusual show. It's, it's kind of cosmic and and spiritual, and you know, like people don't really know what they're going to get. We, we and we don't play any of the hits. You know, it was a couple at the end, but. It just stands its own ground, yeah. you know, and it's really bold, and, and that's a great thing to be doing at this point in in your life. Yeah. Any point in your life, it's 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 a great thing to be doing. It's amazing to be able to, to present two albums that, yeah. that haven't been played live. Yeah, and you're describing, in, in a sense, every time I've ever seen Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, those words you used apply. The last time would have been in Toronto at the... Uh, big arena there air canada center and i couldn't believe mm-hmm. i couldn't believe what you did with that space you made it a club and i it all felt very intimate and magical and remember nick went right up into the audience into the rafters there do you remember that show at all he would he climbed all the way up and then was like the song ended he's like uh kind of got trapped up here i uh <laughs> anyway just yeah um, i I remember the place. I don't remember that moment, but there's been. I, I do remember similar moments because there's quite a lot where he gets himself up somewhere, and then he's got to try and get his way back down again. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. As we're speaking, uh, there is a B sides uh, collection uh, forthcoming. As we're speaking, is there anything you want to? Do you have any insight on this uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds thing before we uh, wrap up here, Warren? Oh. It's really actually fantastic because the B-sides, all that stuff that doesn't make it onto the records, when it's sort of thrown all together, like the first B-sides was so great because it just goes all over the place. You're jumping like, you know, a year at a time sometimes, you know, and Mm. there's sort of like the stuff that run away or didn't seem to fit, you know, the sort of orphan songs in a way. But when you throw them all together in a collection it just jumps all over the place it seems so kind of schizophrenic or something it's just like it just sort of jumps left right everywhere you know and and it's it's interesting i think with the b-sides because you see an evolution of a rather kind of unusual band that's always been unusual you know always just trying to move each time in some way and 
you know, the last two additions to it, you know, like the first, the last one album sort of starts off basically like guitar band by the end of the sort of second one, which is a collect, the second side was something else I worked on during lockdown, which was all this stuff that no one's ever heard before. And then trying to knock them into some shape, you know, it ends up in the most unusual place, you know, it's sort of a weird electronic sort of thing going band that's going on, you know? So I actually really like I like that about the sort of all the stuff, you know, the sort of Dylan stuff that's coming out and all that, that, you know, it's just this other side of have you, have of, you, of an artist. Have you heard the new uh, Dylan uh, rarity set? I yeah, I have. I think it's fantastic. The New York one, the, all that stuff. I think it's amazing. Yeah, I reviewed it and I went on and on about it and really immersed because I had to write a, a lengthy review. I immersed myself yeah. in it and I really loved it. I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I, I really hope there's stuff that comes out of the uh, the Christmas carols one that he did you know i hope there's some stuff that comes out of that period i love that period i mean it's it's, yeah yeah me too you know i I do i do too you know like i i think it's one of my favorite favorite ones actually this this last one it's just so kind of great because it's a bit of a sort of malign period and stuff and you just see you know there's just great stuff going on and and um well, he was you know, strong. Like, he he was thought to be weak, like by his own admission. I think he thought he was kind of done, and then yeah. you actually hear the power. That's what I wrote about. Like, yeah. I just like the power of his voice, the conviction with which yeah. he sings and writes. Like, it's not a weak. It's not a weakened guy at all. He's very strong. So, yeah. No, it's not. I mean, but but I guess you know, at the time compared to what he'd done, everybody thought he'd taken a step down or something, you know, or. Yeah. or whatever you know but like no not at all i mean i i, I love that i i really love it i think it's fantastic yeah okay well people can learn more about this uh, uh nick cave and the bad seeds uh a record by uh I, you know obviously googling <laughs> uh nick cave and uh, the bad seeds you'll figure it out warren if you yeah. if you want people to uh follow you so to speak and learn more about nina simone's gum uh, where would you like to uh, send them per se? Where can they learn more about this book? It's out by Faber. I, I'll mention that. It's out by Faber. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that's the place to look for. I just Google Nina Simone's gum. There's not another book like that. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, there there absolutely isn't. I agree. And the thing the thing that you can do though, if you're also if you're interested, is to follow Alice Park. Oh, okay. uh, Sumatra, which is a park that I've sort of set up in February. I, I purchased some land, donated it, and we're building a park for animals with special needs. And we've sort of crowdfunded it, and we're building it now. It's been amazing. It's, again, it's like the book, you know, like mm. it, it, this idea that I sort of launched out there. People have rallied around it, and you know, people did auctions. It's just the most beautiful thing, you know. Like I, I noticed this sort of community sense of community coming out in the COVID thing where people were delivering meals for people and checking in on people to see if they're okay and, mm. you know, doing auctions to raise stuff for people going under. And I was really, really moved by that. And I, I, I sort of wanted to, I don't know, like to do something. And I sort of met these, met this woman, Femke Den House, through a friend of mine. And, and anyway, we launched this thing. We, we raised... 70 or 80,000 euros we're building the park mm. it's expanding so and we have an armless we have armless monkey and and bears without teeth they're all these animals that have been abused either through trafficking or mm. pets and you know beaten up just people beat up monkey and leave it and it's got brain damage and stuff like that and mm. 
birds, you know, with one foot and we're building a place that they can just sort of live in happiness and die. And I eventually want it to get, expand and build a park for elephants, old elephants to just retire the, in, from zoos and things like that when they don't want them and they can just sort of live out a happy life. And yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to build a massive piece of gum, like 10 foot tall out of stone. And I, I'm going to get a boat and I'm going to, I'm going to sail to Sumatra like on a boat and and I want to uh, you know, wear a pith hat and a safari suit and and, and a mate's going to document it and, and take photos and I'm going to I'm going to unveil I'm going to go to go to the park and unveil this gum and let the bears and the monkeys play on it and uh, I'll peel bananas and in my autumnal years just like. I don't know, get back on the gear and go out in a blaze of glory. <laughs> okay, well, that all sounds good. Are you a, a, are you an avid gum chewer yourself? Do you like gum? I do, yeah. Okay, just making sure. I chewed gum all throughout my university days, but I, I don't do it so much anymore. Well, it's, it's such an amazing thing also, too, when you think about it. It's, it's like Didi Ramon or something. It's just so awesome, you know, that she'd be eating yeah. gum, and then you find out she's had a couple of lines of gack and... Lots of sausages, yeah. She's just the best, you know, really. She's the best, you know. I mean, the book is about her heart and soul too, you know, like really it's, you know, fuck knows what she'd think of it, but, you know, it's there. I I think she'd enjoy it. I actually, she seems erratic in a lot of ways, but I imagine, I'd like to think that she would really enjoy it. Well, we'll never know, but... That's the thing is, is that like thinking about it's enough sometimes. So you know, yeah. So if people want to learn, you mentioned a lot of things there. Uh, you're on social media. Is that the best place to keep track of some of these things? Well, uh, yeah, I have the Warren Alice on Instagram. You know, you can see what I'm doing. I throw things out there from time to time. What I'm on, I, I sort of realized I was doing a lot of stuff, and I should kind of have some presence there because. Yeah. You know, I don't have a manager. I don't. I don't have anything like that. You know, I just like kind of do my own thing. I was unmanageable in 1990, and it hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my uh, encounters, you've always been very lovely, uh, Warren. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate all your work. Now we are in a, a situation where you have some musical releases out with you and Nick, uh, among others. And normally, at the end of a conversation like this, I would suggest we go out on a song. Uh, is there something that you can think of, either from the B-Sides and Rarities uh, collection or perhaps Carnage or something? Is there something? Yeah, go ahead on the song Carnage. Okay. Any reason that why that came to mind? It's just such an awesome track. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's hear it. This is uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis with the title track from their 2021 album, Carnage. Uh, uh, Warren, I love you very much. Thank you for this time. and I love you too, man. And we'll talk soon, I hope. All right. Take care. I always seem to be saying goodbye And rolling through the mountains like a train My uncle's at the chopping block Turning chickens into fountains I'm a barefoot child Watching in the rain That stepped into this song Taken a bow And stepped right out again 
I'm sitting on the balcony Reading Flannery O'Connor With a pencil and a pen This song is like a rain cloud That keeps circling overhead And there it comes around again And it's only love With a little bit of rain And I hope to see you Steps back into the woods My heart, it is an open road Where we ran away for good Like a train 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Warren Ellis, if you're listening uh, at this point uh, to this episode, I doubt you are. But if you are, I uh, just want you to know once again what a thrill it was to have you on, on this show. Thanks again, Warren, for being on this, the 642nd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't locate an episode that you've heard about or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, uh, everything you need is over on my website there, avishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vish Khanna. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. So again, it's flexible. It's you can change your donation if you start out at six uh, and you want to reduce it, or if you start out at a thousand dollars a month and you want to reduce it. That's never happened. If you want to do whatever you want to do, you can always change your mind. And who knows? As I'm speaking to you, maybe I'll post my 2009 interview. I think it was with Nick Cave. That can't be right. It wasn't 2009, was it? Was it? I don't remember when it was. It was a long time ago. But maybe I'll, I'll uh, maybe I'll post that. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, again, patreon.com slash creative control. More info. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, and also to Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the, on the program. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Warren Ellis. If you haven't heard it before, check out uh, Nick and Warren on the show from 2017. Just go back into your uh, podcast player and see if you can track that one down. Or Again, go to my website. And if you can, subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends all about it and maybe uh, spread the word about the show and share the, the news, the good word about creative control, as it were. And other than that, I will talk to you very soon. Read Nina Simone's Gun by Warren Ellis. It's, it's an incredible book. I know you'll enjoy it, so do that for me if you can, and otherwise I will talk to you soon. Bye for now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.